Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Driving across Kansas yesterday on our way home from a week spent with your family, Sherry, the radio station options were limited. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of country, and I'm not here to bash country music. I like country music to an extent. They talk about drinking a lot in country music, though. Like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like 80% of the songs or something. You think so? I was going to Google that fact when we got home. We were I wonder if you that. can. Oh. I yeah. bet somebody's There's at that. least a reference to cold, ice cold beer at least once in, gosh, at least four out of five songs, I would think. And sometimes the whole song centered on it. But anyway, that's not the point. That is a bit of a turnoff to me as someone who doesn't drink anymore. But I like country music. But anyway, not a lot of, you know, options. And if I would find like a, a rock and roll station. God, rock and roll. It sounds <laughs> like an old man's way of saying it. Yeah. If I could find some hair bands of the 80s. Uh, I was definitely going to stick with that station as long as I could until we got out of got out of range. And there were a couple of times where some hairband ballads came on, and I got really excited. <laughs> and you said, "You said, oh, here's here's a boohoo song for you, crybaby song. Here's a crybaby cry song, crybaby rock song. <laughs> yeah, so." I'm sorry for all those people that liked hairband ballads, but that's, to me, not hard rock. Well, it is kind of funny. I think it's, again, you and I have kind of a traditional role reversal to some extent, because mm-hmm. I love the hairbands. I love Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and Poison and all of them, and, but their ballads are definitely my favorite part, and <laughs> that's a very kind of traditionally sissy thing to say and don't say sissy why not it's not appropriate is that not politically well that's making it seem like it's a girly thing and that's not true i mean i'm a girl and i would rather have a song about like kicking in somebody's front teeth because they pissed you off sort of (laughs) heavy metal headbanger song than some oh you know every rose has a thorn So, well, I like that every rose has its thorn, so I'm the thorn. Anyway, the rose. you did you just said that like I got I think it was November Rain, wasn't it? That came on. I think and I know you played. hate Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah. But I got really excited that ooh, I was like, ooh, you know, after you flip, <laughs> you know, you go around the dial. And I know people are probably like, God, you Record a podcast for a living. Don't you, you have any have, higher technology I mean, for we listening? Have, we have other music options. You just are traditional. You like to just flip with the I just radio. don't prepare very well. So I get in the car, we start driving, and I just start flipping the radio. And I am highly prepared. I have movies downloaded, podcasts downloaded. I am ready to go. In fact, I felt like when I tried to talk to you, I was kind of annoying to you because you had your kind of earbuds weird. in and you were, you were watching Northern Exposure, just yes. so we can... Yes date ourselves even further. Hairbands of the 80s and a sitcom from the 80s, right? Or 90s? Uh, 90, 91, something like that. Okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, I felt like when I had something to say to you, I was quite annoying to you because you were trying to get through that whole season or whatever, or several seasons of. Yeah, I had, I had, I was so overly prepared. prepared. I was but for me, prepared. not being prepared, I'm just flipping. And when you go around the whole dial, you know, from the from eighty whatever to a hundred and seven or one one oh seven over and over again with just some cold beer country songs a lot of static a little bit of conservative talk radio being in the heart of kansas and uh and then you come to a ballad from from you know poison or molly crew or guns and roses my goodness how exciting and so i i was all giddy ooh, look what i found and you just came up with your what'd you call it boohoo mm-hmm. song Cry baby. Oh, a cry baby song for you, Matt. <laughs> and the whole point of this story is that we were able to laugh and have fun in the car, on our car ride, on the way home from vacation. And when I was drinking, that was, we were over however many, over several dozen car rides home from vacation, uh, having lighthearted fun. It just never happened. For a variety of reasons. And that's what we want to talk about today. Um, we want to talk about vacations and holidays in an alcoholic relationship and then vacations and holidays and sobriety and what's different. You down for a conversation about that, Sherry? Sure. We've talked a couple of times about some of the most severe and traumatic and awful experiences we had vacation-wise. We've talked about the one where I was driving in the morning and was still drunk from the night before. I shouldn't have been driving and jerked the car around and squealed the tires. And uh, Those are, like I said, super traumatic, life-changing, you'll never forget kind of things. And we, But we've, we've done that. We've talked about that. What I want to talk about today are the vacation experiences or holiday experiences that weren't outwardly traumatic, weren't huge and life-changing on the outside, but but just they weren't what they could have been, should have been, had I not been drinking. And let's let's start at the beginning. You know, when we would go on vacation, we, we have shared with our listeners that you carried the brunt of the work, and I think this is very common in a traditional family. You, you know, I packed for myself. I got all the work stuff taken care of, and felt like a, a huge accomplishment when I got whatever work-related stuff to a point where I was ready to go on vacation. And then all I had to do was pack for myself, and I was ready to go. Mow the lawn, I guess. I mowed the lawn, too. But you packed for not only yourself, but the kids, and you had plant watering to arrange and pets pet sitting to arrange. There was a lot more domestic work involved with getting ready to go. I mean, I'm not going to shortchange the task that was involved with getting the work-related work ready to go, because it was a lot. But when I was there, when I was over that finish line of having everything where it needed to be, I was in party mode, man. I was on vacation before we even left town and drank heavily the night before vacation, I think every single vacation we ever had. I can't imagine a reason why I wouldn't have. And just kind of really jovial and excited and your attitude was always different. One of the reasons is you still were dealing with the packing for the kids and figuring out the food we were going to eat on the way to the airport or whatever. 
So you still had the, the kind of domestic work left to do. But it was more than that. As much as I looked forward to vacation because it meant I could drink without, you know, worries about work and I I could drink basically all day from, from noon on because in in my family it wasn't a five o'clock thing, it was a noon thing is that kind of signaled the popping the first beer bottle. And even toward the end of my drinking I can remember many times where it was you know, someone would open a beer at 11 o'clock and I'd be like, ooh, cool, we get to drink early today. So the whole idea of we're heading on vacation, all that meant was less restrictions on my drinking in my mind and freedom and partying. And for you, aside from the work that was involved in getting ready to go on vacation, you kind of dreaded the whole thing, didn't you? Yes. Can you elaborate? Okay. Uh, yeah, I dreaded the whole thing. Because even though we would maybe be on vacation, and I think we've discussed that all of our vacations had pretty much been to our either my family or your family, right. I still had to be in charge of making sure the kids got fed, making sure that baths got taken when they were, you know, when they were little, or I had to kind of be managing them even when you weren't completely um, drunk, you just those just weren't things that popped into your head about making sure that they were being taken care of. Um, so I feel like I got no help in preparation and readiness beforehand, and then I knew that I wouldn't have any help um, unless it would be like a grandparent helping or um, your sister helping with our kids. That's fair. Feel meal preparation and that's true. Bathing and I I guilty on all counts. But I think there's more to it. It wasn't just that you knew that your work of taking care of the kids was going to continue on vacation. It's not like I'm going to give up on the kids. So I don't want to make it sound like I had planned on just checking out, but but it was more than that. You I mean Everything that I looked forward to was stuff for you to dread. Oh, well, yes, and then you're drinking. I didn't want to, you know, I feel like we've talked about that. Yeah, your drinking totally increased, and your liberation of rules and restrictions and time. So then, you know, then your moods were unpredictable. You were unpredictable. You know, you were more needy sometimes, or your insecurity would creep in depending on what had happened, and so there might be uncomfortable feelings about the way you felt family members were treating you or not treating you, or I wasn't doing something to be attentive. Okay, so so, so that's the heart of what I want to talk about. You know, we, we can talk, because we have lots of examples of really dramatic things that went wrong. The time I tried to water ski home from dinner and made the whole group late, uh, getting the boat in before dark. And let me just tell our listeners, I even said to the driver, just fucking leave him. <laughs> Let, I was pregnant. I just wanted to get home. It was early in the pregnancy, so I felt like I could be in a boat. But so we have lots of examples of, <laughs> just of leave him. dramatic him experiences show. that went wrong and ended up with lots of yelling and bad feelings. But that, you know, that's the obvious, right? That's That's the... The situation where anyone can say, yeah, that didn't go well. But 
I want to talk about the times when maybe no one else could tell, maybe some people could sort of tell, but they didn't say anything about it. But it just was uncomfortable to be on vacation with me as the alcoholic. And the, so the three things that you said were that I was unpredictable and that I was sometimes I was needy and that, you know, you, you never knew how uh, I would be impacted by the actions of others because of my insecurity. So needing, so these are the, this is what happens when you drink, when you drink consistently, when you become an alcoholic, or even if you don't want to call yourself an alcoholic, when you drink consistently and it's a big part of your life, you become unpredictable, you become needy, and you, your insecurities show through. That is just how it works. Not only in my case, but in many, many cases that we've experienced. So when we talk about the unpredictability, Sometimes drinking made me giddy and jovial and fun. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it made me stressed. You know, I would, even though I wasn't currently working or I worked a minimal amount when we were on vacation, I was still stressed about work. So if something bad happened back at home at work and I found out about it, that could throw me for a loop. Mm -hmm. You not being in the best of mood. I mean, that's another thing, honestly, from my perspective, that's one of the things I want to talk about. You know, you weren't as excited about vacation as I was. And the reasons were the things that you just stated or one of the big dramatic things that could happen. You were just constantly walking on eggshells and concerned that something was going to go horribly wrong. So you weren't just giddy and goofy. And that made me feel like crap because I was giddy and goofy. So when you talk about I'm drinking and which way is my mood going to go, sometimes... My mood was great, but other times because of any of a million life stresses or because of your mood, uh, I would go to a dark place and then that's no fun to be around someone who's drinking and sad. A drunk, sad person is whew, not the life of the party and not any, and so that would just kind of perpetuate your bad mood and we'd go down into a, into a dark place together. Is that a pretty accurate way to describe? Yeah, and I'm sure that my mood, um, like I can just, like I envision what my aura was like sending out, like just lightning bolts and zap and like, you know, almost like a bug zapper. I kind of felt like that because I was just trying to read all of what was going on and there was all this stress and tension. And I know that I was, especially towards the end of, you know, when things were really bad, like you're with your drinking. I just was so done going anywhere. And I just hated being away. Because I didn't want to, I mean, I didn't want to have a conversation because I knew that I get emotional and she would always, shh, quiet, quiet. I don't want anybody to hear. And I'm like, if you don't want anybody to hear, then just act fucking right. Like just be a normal human being. Like, I was so, you know, it was so hard to put on this smiling face. Yeah. And I'm sure I was just tension city. No one wanted to be around me. Did that tension and moodiness also, was that driven by the time of day for you? Did you, and I'm really curious, I don't think we've ever talked about this. You know, as the afternoon would roll into evening, did you start to think, oh God, you know, is he going to keep it under control yeah. tonight or is he going to overdo oh, it? Oh, yeah. And depending on what was going on and what the 
drink cocktail of the day or somebody announced that it was, you know, cocktail hour. And then I'm like, I mean, everybody saw, like, in your family, they saw how much you drank. And they just pretended that it, that it was not, it wasn't normal, but they weren't going to stop themselves from drinking or... There was, like, this announcement about the... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I just feel like they were just wanting to sweep it under the rug, thinking that you would control it. But if somebody was going to make a margarita, and everybody was taking orders of margaritas, you certainly were in. I mean... Yeah, I've never turned down a margarita. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And I'm sure that you probably went in and added more tequila, because there was no way you were drinking that margarita that was just normal amount of tequila. I did not. Uh, I okay. Okay. Of you just all went the to bad things that I've done. I don't think I ever added tequila to a some a margarita someone handed me. Yeah. Okay. But but I probably drank three margaritas to that person's one. Yeah. Or uh, just quickly finished the margaritas so I could drink something else. Yeah. So it just seemed like everybody wanted to still be in vacation mode, and I know that's unfair to the people that are drinking at a normal rate to. You know, everybody having to o obey even better or contain themselves or control themselves because there's this one person that's out of control. And oftentimes it might inspire, like, more drinking from one of your cousins or other younger counterparts of people that were visiting and because um, they would try to keep up with you or that was a bad situation. But Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... There was definitely more drinking when I was drinking... From other people than there is now, now that I'm not drinking, whether that's because I was the ringleader or because people weren't conscious of not drinking as much around me, I'm not sure which of those two things it is. Or yeah. or maybe the third, people in my life, people in our lives have just matured over time and drink less than they used to. That's possible too. But I'm what I'm curious about here is as the day would roll on, like if it was three o'clock in the afternoon... Did you start to try to gauge, like, w where I was? Like, it, you no. know, has he been out in the sun not eating and drinking beer all day? And is this going to be a disaster of a night? Did you yeah. did you worry about that? Or did you just take it as it came, however it came? I mean, I guess maybe when the kids were littler, I would kind of try to gauge that a little bit. Just because I thought, well, I don't want them to see their dad acting like that. Maybe towards the end, I just would have kind of shuffled them off. Because they were kind of at a place where they could go and the family room and watch a movie or they would all kind of be occupied with their cousins mm -hmm. and doing their own thing or, you know, play in pool or something. So they didn't have to see and be around you. So I didn't pay that much attention. Um, I, I remember I definitely would look at the clock the first time I heard you crack a beer. Um, I stopped counting towards the end of your drinking on vacation. Um, so this goes to your point that you made that it was very unpredictable. So it sounds like you're saying at least toward the end, why even try to predict it? Yeah. There's gonna be a there's gonna be at least one or two if we're if we're on vacation for a week, there's gonna be at least one or two days where I have way too much. Mm hmm And why even try to predict yeah. when it's gonna happen and I kind or when of, it's gonna happen. And depending on which vacation we were on with family, I always knew which of the day would be the worst. Um Usually toward the beginning, wasn't it? Yeah, so yes, yeah, so for the uh, Indianapolis 500 vacation and the seeing my family in Indiana, it was in the beginning mm -hmm. of it. Um, and then you'd usually have, 
if we were if with my family longer, there was usually one night or one day that you got a little more out of control drinking. But you didn't drink as much toward the end at my family as bad in front of my family. The last time I remember we were with my family, you had a call and you drank during that time and my mom and the kids and I went to a swimming pool out yeah. of our county. Something that a lot of people can probably relate to coming off of COVID with people working at home and being on Zoom. This was Zoom before Zoom was a thing. This was several years ago and, and it was a video call and I drank way too much and to the point where I had to like apologize and cover my tracks for mm -hmm. days after that. Yeah. So I think that you kind of stopped having that sort of drinking so much in front of my my family but you definitely did it when it was race time around friends and with your family I feel like there was the beginning day and then maybe towards the end of the week that were there because you knew vacation was coming to an end yeah, that's right trying to and medicate so were, that yeah yep that sadness that the reality of the work stuff that had the stress that had been on the periphery for a week Mm -hmm. I knew it existed, and I knew it was waiting for me. It was almost time. Yeah. No question about it. So that's the unpredictability of an alcoholic on vacation or in holiday mode. Um, the, the neediness is another interesting one. You know, along with, you know, when, when I talk about how I would go into vacation mode right away when it was time to leave, even before we had left, I don't know. I, I just had all these visions. Even if the vacation was just going to our family, to the home that our parents lived in, and hanging out with relatives and cousins, it wasn't going on a, to a beach in Jamaica or anything fancy. It was, it was just spending time with family. I had this vision of what the vacation meant. And certainly it meant lots of drinking and not working. And I don't know. It, it, I did put a lot of pressure on you, I feel like, to try to make it something special, something more than it was. And so while you're walking around trying to gauge, or I guess you said you didn't try to gauge how much I was going to drink, but while you were walking around, um, certainly unsure of what my mood was going to be and where things were going to go on a daily basis and still continuing with the tasks of adulthood and parenthood. And which, by the way, I get that because now, you know, I'm in my fifth year of sobriety and this, this trip to your family, we did a lot of work around the house for your mom and we still, we did a fair bit of work for our addiction recovery and prevention work and video calls and stuff like that. Um, so it didn't, and you know, and we still had to take care of the kids, even though they're teenagers now, mostly teenagers, but it, it doesn't feel as much like vacation to me when I'm not just yeah. drinking the well, whole time. We, yeah, we went and we didn't have our Indianapolis 500 event. That part so was that definitely was, missing. That was definitely different. But as a friend of mine said, really like, sounds like your vacation is just transplanting yes. your family in someone else's home where, where your stuff isn't in your places. Yeah, it's, a, so it's, it's a little harder. So to me, that's the most stressful part. It's great part. to see family. It is great to see family, but that is a piece that I don't think you understand. I didn't understand. I do understand it now. Well, I mean, I feel, I feel like, feel like still you don't quite understand how that is something that causes me 
not frustration, not anxiety. And it's not that I'm so set in my routine, but just having to maneuver around and share smaller spaces and my stuff isn't where it should be and I'm like spread out between two rooms and I've got a makeup bag here and I got my cleansing stuff in the bathroom and somebody's using the bathroom. Like those sort of things. Yeah. After, you know, seven days, I'm kind of like, I just want to be home where I know where all of my stuff is. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, ah, done. I do, you know. I do get that. I do get but that. But I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like you don't. It's kind of funny. Like, you're like, i got to use the bathroom. And I'm like, if you would have given me four minutes, just four more minutes, I could have had all of my bathroom stuff all done. I even woke up early just so I would have a few minutes of alone time. Yeah. And I know that it's silly to expect to go and visit family and have alone time. But. Well, so... But- Okay, so you say I don't fully understand. I, I'm definitely closer to understanding than I used to be. You probably think it, it's silly. It used to be even when we were just going to visit family and we were going to like do yard work for your mom, I still thought of it as vacation mode, meaning I'm going to drink a bunch and I'm going to want to have a lot of sex too. That was the other thing. that, And I know how much you like to talk about sex. So you said that one of the things about living with an active alcoholic is the neediness. Well, in our relationship, that was one of the ways that I presented myself as being very needy. You know, a vacation. I'm drinking all day, every day. You know what goes great with drinking all day, every day? Having sex. You won't even say it. No. You know what sounds great? Drinking all the (laughs) Sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. Sleeping it off. Passing out. Yeah. Yeah. But so the neediness was, it was putting, you know, not only did you not transfer the burden of the kids anywhere else, it stays with you, but, you know, it, you've also burden got of the, the burden kids. of that the... That sounds terrible. It does. But you've got the burden of the alcoholic the husband. Well, the burden of the alcoholic away. husband is definitely something that's a burden, but, you know, the responsibilities of okay. the children. Fair enough. There. Because they're not burdens. It's just... So as a as an alcoholic on vacation, I was unpredictable. I was needy. Um, and then the other thing that you talked about is my insecurities would come through. You know, relationships with family that were not smooth. Or, you know, you, you, you don't live with someone. You just communicate by phone or by text throughout the course of the year. And then all of a sudden you're spending a week in close contact with them. The relationship changes for that week mm-hmm. and tensions ri- arise and you start to feel that. And so, and my insecurities would come through and then I would look to you to make those go away. So it would be, you know, gosh, you'll never believe what this person said or, or, uh, you know, I, whenever I have a convers this conversation, it always makes me feel like crap about myself. That kind of thing. And that would bring that to you. And I think in family relationships, I was actually on another car ride, long car ride with nothing but talk radio stations to be found, probably coming across Kansas. It was a while back, so I don't remember exactly where I was. But I remember I listened to the psychologist talk for a while, and he was talking about how the best thing you can do for your extended family relationships is when you guys are together, just applaud Whatever it is the people in your family are telling you. Because none of them really want it, want your advice. But 
when we're around our family, we can't help but give advice. These are people we love. And so if they share something they're struggling with, we want to fix it for them. Just like we want to fix our marriages by fixing our spouses. And so when we're in those family situations, it's it's pretty common to get a lot of advice. Often, you know, kind of unwelcomed advice. And then I would come to you and say, you know, Sherry, you know, so-and-so said this and, and I'd want you to fix it for me and make me feel better. That had to be... I mean, that's what you were talking about, right? When you talked about my insecurities? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just maybe not feeling up to what others, what what you think others were expecting of you. I think that's another insecurity. Like Like a comparison thing? Yeah. Like my cousin's doing this and my brother-in-law is doing this. Compare. uh, Yeah. Yeah, and like, oh, somebody just got a new house and, okay. you know, or, oh, they're driving a different car this year. Yeah, okay. You know, that sort of stuff. Sometimes you would kind of go, I I feel like sometimes in the past, if you'd been drinking, you would almost go to the extreme opposite of that, like not applauding that they have moved, like just questioning their motives and the need to have another new car or another house, you know, move into another house after they've only lived in their other house for two years or whatever and almost like an extreme of like that's so wasteful or dirty little secret about you and I we have a long-standing love affair with talking about people behind their backs um it's kind of fun it's kind of fun we that's my friend we we were sitting in a (laughs) Presbyterian church once and the sermon was about how you shouldn't talk about people behind their backs and you and I looked at each other and said well what would we have to talk about if we didn't talk about people behind their backs a friend of mine and like out of high school, I remember we used to have this group of friends and he and I were roommates for a while and we were always kind of catty. But he said, if you can't talk about your friends, who else can you talk about? Good you point. talk about the people that you love because they're of interest to you. That's right. That's right. And it's also kind of goes to the point of you want to talk because you want to fix them. You don't understand why they're thinking this way or why they're doing this or why they're spending this kind of stuff. So it is like you kind of want to fix them. A but little it, bit. But it, we keep it amongst ourselves. We did, just me and you. Yeah. But it did often seem to me like I didn't notice when I seemed to somehow cross an invisible line for you where we're not just goofing around and joking about things that we're observing among our family members, but I've I've somehow gone too far and it's now I'm jealous or uh, I'm judgmental mm-hmm. of decisions that people are making. And I used to notice that when I was drinking. Believe it or not, I noticed something. But I noticed that you would get, you know, I don't know. Was it was it just repetition? Was it because as a drinker, I wasn't able to get off a topic? I would just go on and on about so-and-so's new car or whatever the thing might be. But you, you definitely went from being with me and we're joking and we're laughing about stuff to um, like I was being too crass or too judgmental or too mean. Do you remember that? Or is that just me? No, I remember that. It probably is a little bit of it all. Like, you would be, you know, just going over and over the subject for way too long. And there was an anger and a frustration that would build up in your tone. Um, And I could see that it was more in passing of, you know, it had passed the... Just kind of observation, let's just 
kind of say this to each other to kind of let it out to somebody and say, I just don't understand why they're doing this. What was the matter with their old house or their old car or whatever? Um, where then it was like there was judgment on all of the other things in their life. Because then you would start to say, well, they should be paying attention to this or they should be noticing this or they're not doing this for their kids. They're too absorbed in themselves. So it would kind of spin out of just that. So it would go from fun cattiness that we were both in on to me taking it too far, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a, you know, a prime indicator that someone is, is a drinker, a consistent drinker, an alcoholic in my case, taking something and just taking it too far. Mm -hmm. So that's something I was good at. Yeah. So you had to deal with the unpredictability. You had to deal with the uh, neediness and the fact that my insecurities would come shining through. So whether it was a, you know, off the end of the cliff, drinking too much, catastrophic, traumatic event, or it was just the day by day trying to get through the week. That's very much how you experienced vacations when I was drinking, just trying to get through the week. Yeah. 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 And for me, as the drinker, you know, I had all these grand expectations of vacation with this freewheeling amount of drinking and, you know, just vacation would be glorious because it was vacation. And it always ended in disappointment because I would have that one or two nights on a week of vacation when I would overdo it glaringly. And then I'd be filled with regrets. Even outside of the one or two nights of glaringly overdoing it, you and I, we just didn't get along the way I was hoping we would. And it was because you were managing those those things about me. And, I mean, let's face it, we've talked a lot about how you just weren't, we got to the point that even though I was your husband, you just weren't attracted to me anymore. And we went on vacation lots of times when you weren't attracted to me. And I'm not even talking about sex. You just didn't want to be around me because, I mean, it was just harder to be around me than to not be around me. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If vacation without you would have been really great. <laughs> I, I know that sounds terrible. I feel like we had one vacation where you had to leave and I had to take you to the airport and then you were talking about just going ahead and flying home, but then you got nervous because this was our Indiana trip and then I would have to drive alone with the kids and I was like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Like, don't come home. Or don't come back to Indiana because you had to go away for a couple of days. And Yeah. And I was like, ugh. You know, and it was very much relaxing because you were still drinking then. It was much more relaxing. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah, kids too. Because the, either they had to navigate me and so they had the same unpredictability. Is dad going to be super fun today or is dad going to be grumpy? Mm-hmm. And then also the tension that it would cause in you yeah. would you know, reflect onto them and they'd have to deal with that. And granted, my mom had a little bit more insight to what was going on with your drinking and because of her circumstances with being married to my father who was an alcoholic and she had divorced. So there was a lot more... Uh, animosity towards alcohol in my mom's household. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's talk about 
vacation and holiday periods. I mean, this podcast is going to release the week of Independence Day. So 4th of July holiday is upon us. And we, um, you and I are experiencing now, we've got years of experience of going through these summer holidays and the, um, the vacations, the summer vacations in sobriety. And one of the things that's interesting to me is you seem to have settled into the new normal pretty comfortably to the point where, I don't know how to say this, you don't seem to be all that excited that I'm not drinking anymore. <laughs> you, like, it's just normal now for you. And, and um, you know, I, it's not like I want a ticker tape parade and I want <laughs> you to run like... up and throw your arms around me and kiss kiss and hug me all the time but there's not any and I think this is really really important there's not any like oh thank god it's not the way it used to be and this is so much better like there's still stuff that's frustrating yes. and yeah life continues life continues so life continues so what do you mean by that well i guess it's just uh, kind of thinking like, well, this is what life should have been like. Right. Right. So why should I have spent years tiptoeing around having your drinking overtake every situation uh-huh. and every daily mundane task? Because it did. Right. It infiltrated everything. So why should I like, you know, at this point, let your sobriety like overtake everything like. To me, it just seems like this was normal expectations of what have how a human should conduct themselves, and I know that addiction is a hard thing, and getting sober is a hard thing, but it doesn't have to be everything. You, I mean, you work on things daily, but I feel like if I don't know, I just I don't feel like I need to, you know congratulate you every day I mean there are moments when I'm like oh this would have been really difficult if you were still drinking I don't feel like I need to like give you accolades and every day for one that's not my love language like I'm terrible at verbal affirmation that's that's I think really great what you just said that sobriety is a big thing or a hard thing I don't remember exactly how you said it but it doesn't have to be everything that that I think um, is is a big indication of how the loved ones of the alcoholic view this versus the alcoholic themselves. There were several times in this last week when we were at your family where I had thoughts of, "Oh, I'm glad I'm not drinking anymore. This is going so much better." And then I would look over at you, or I would think about what you were doing and how you were interacting with people, and I would think. Sherry doesn't even notice like my drinking was so far in the past and yeah I mean this is this is awful this is an awful thing for me to say but I say all kinds of awful things about myself there were times when I wished like god does she not even appreciate the fact that I'm not drinking anymore and I think I I look at it like wow this is great look what sobriety has done for our lives 
And I think you very much look at it to some degree like, yeah, but look at all the years that your drinking cost us. So as opposed to being excited about what we have now and going forward, you have some heartburn, justifiably so. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your reaction, but I think you have some heartburn for the way it used to be and the time lost. And so, no, you're not interested in celebrating that, you know, we can work together on the yard at your mom's house without fighting. Like, that's like you just said it. That's how it's supposed to be. This isn't something worthy of celebrating. I think this, this goes, is normal. I think this goes to the differences in our personality. That, I think that there was a podcast true. where we talked about that. Like, I'm that kind of Midwestern ho hum. Don't get too excited about anything. Don't get too happy about anything. Don't get too, you know. Yeah, but it's universally, um, it's universal among alcoholics in recovery to be like, "Hey, look at me! Look how good I'm doing! Look at me! I'm sober!" and and shouldn't we be celebrating that? Versus the person who's had to experience the alcoholism and is now experiencing the sobriety, being like, "Yeah, all right, I'm glad you're sober, but." We, you know, we still got to pull these weeds over here. Yeah. And the kids still need a bath. Life continues. Not that we but bathe our teenage boys, <laughs> yeah. thank God. But we still need to usher them into the bath. We still need to force the kids to take a bath. Boys don't always like to shower. But yes, life continues, but it doesn't need to revolve around you is kind of how I end your sobriety or didn't need to revolve around you and your drinking, whatever. It's just surprising to me that you don't, you don't do it outwardly. I don't know if you do it inwardly. I guess that's why I'm asking. But you don't outwardly ever take a pause and say, Sometimes I do. Man, this is so much better. Sometimes I do, especially like, you know, this time the morning we were, the night we got in from, it was late, it was the day before we were driving home, uh, a door handle broke oh, in my mom's we had pantry. Been, we had been we had at a barbecue at some point. We had a barbecue, so yeah. there could have been alcohol involved perhaps, and then this door is broken and we're trying to pack, and then there was something the matter with the light switch in the bathroom that we use. And so I'm just, I was thinking, God, I'm glad he wasn't like hung over or drinking, trying to fix the door handle. Cause who knows how much glue could have been all over the place and what kind of mess it could have been. And then you would have been like kind of hung over and grumpy in the morning. For anyone who, you know, has a little bit of Mr. Fix it in them and, and does home improvements at home. You just said glue and a door handle and in ordinary circumstances, <laughs> That would be a dumbass, cheap-ass way to try to fix the door handle. Yeah. But with what little thing was wrong, that was absolutely the right. Yes. I have to defend myself a little bit. Okay, that's fine. It wasn't like I couldn't find the screw, so I just glued the shit out right, of it. Right, right. Okay. No, there Proceed. are times, there are definite times <laughs> when, you know, or like when there's an uncomfortable situation or, you know. I, I do think about it, but I don't verbalize it. But again, words of affirmation are not my love language, I mean, so I'm not good at expressing you, them. You and can say that, and, and I'll validate you. You're right. You're not good at words of affirmation. <clears throat> but I don't think that's what this is about, honestly. I because I we just I hear it from others in these situations that the alcoholic in recovery is more likely to be the one going, "Hey, look at me! Look how much better this is!" And so I had those thoughts over and over throughout the week and you as you said life goes on and you can listen to your boohoo rock ballads in the car on the way home <laughs> cry baby cry baby ballads cry baby ballads but yeah i guess and maybe i should 
verbalize that more. I feel like I did say something this week about it. I feel like there was one time that I was like, ugh, you know. Well, I don't remember that. It might be true. Or maybe it was sometime before we left. I don't remember. But I feel like in the last, like, two to three weeks, I said something about, oh, good thing you're not drinking right now. Yeah, I, I, I just think, you know, the one of the purposes of this podcast is to help people, not only to help the loved ones of alcoholics recognize their need for recovery and hopefully resonate with our story and find little glimmers of hope for their the, for their discovery and their process moving forward but it's also hopefully to help people in their relate their work that has to be done on the relationship that's in sobriety and so i think it's important for people if they're going through this and they recognize what you and i have talked about in their relationship as the as the spouse as the loved one of the alcoholic i'm just keeping trudging forward and i'm not spending a lot of time thinking about how great it is that sobriety is there and as the person who's gone through the gargantuan task of quitting drinking we're hoping to get a little bit more you know uh recognition and accolades coming our way um this is the challenge to the relationship this is a big challenge to the relationship and i think you and i have been together forever and we've been in sobriety for a long time now and so like it doesn't Yes, it surprises me that you don't ever say, you know, wow, this is so much better. Um, I'm so glad you're sober. Oh, now but, you've opened a can of worms. I'm going to say it all the time now <laughs> for everything. But, but, but it's not like I get my feelings hurt. It's not like I was driving across Kansas stewing about the fact that I didn't get enough, you know, p- enough pats on the back. Nothing like that at all. I mean, I know I am very... I'm more sensitive than you and I am, you know, I'm needy and (laughs) learning to deal with emotions because I didn't have to deal with them for all those drinking years. I get all of that. But so I'm just, I'm, you know, it's not like this was something I was stewing over. It's just an interesting thing to recognize. And for me. And the differences in those two approaches is important. Because if your relationship is still struggling, and if you are the alcoholic, for instance, mm-hmm. and uh, you can't figure out why the marriage isn't getting better, and you need those words of affirmation, they're probably not going to come flowing your way just automatically. That's just not how it works. Yeah. Is that is that fair to say? I think that'd be fair to say. I mean, I when, you've, like... when you've hurt somebody and traumatized somebody for years, and then you stop traumatizing them... Like, that doesn't mean they're going to be super excited. doesn't mean you get a excited. big reward. Yeah. It means you're just doing yeah. the little bit. I mean, you know, obviously, like, sobriety is a lot. Yeah. I don't want to discount that. I guess I feel like you're just living up to the guy that I knew that you could be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm like, you were the person that was in there, and that's why I stuck it out. Yeah. So I like vacation much more now, and holidays much more now, because there's almost no chance... Of it spinning out of control and being a huge, messy disaster. Almost no chance of making our relationship significantly worse. Almost no chance of, you know, causing harm to the kids or others. Almost no chance of these big catastrophic catastrophes. Catastrophic catastrophes, I like Mm -hmm. that. But they are pretty mundane and normal and everyday life-ish. 
And as the alcoholic, my message to other people who are in in early sobriety from alcoholism, yeah, uh, vacation and holidays probably going to be a fair bit more boring, but boring is good when compared to uneventful. Okay, uneventful. Sorry. Unless you're going somewhere eventful. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we get to do something, you know, spectacularly eventful, you know, every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while. And that's how it should and, be. And that's how it should be. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. But you can't just blow this normal time with family up in your head as this great thing and then try to drink your way into the greatness. Yeah. That part, that ship has, ship has sailed and thank God it has because instead of creating the greatness, I usually created okay. catastrophic catastrophes. <laughs> God, if there's any like grammar expert that listens to our podcast, I'm sure they, well, they, they, they stopped listening off. long yeah. ago. They stopped. Well, thanks for, uh, you know, enjoying the hair bands of the eighties ballad edition. Hey, what, what, the, what is the Motley Crue ballad? Do you know? You're going to put me on the spot, aren't you? Yeah. There is one. I know. No, I don't know what it is. Home, home sweet home. Sure. Um, that one I like. It's kind of crybaby-ish. A little bit. But if you listen to it, any DJ out there, you have to quickly follow it up by Dr. Feelgood or Wild Side. So or then it just every counteracts. Every Rose Has Its Thorn or no, November Rain. No, no. You can't have two crybaby songs afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Not, not two in a row. Not two in a row. All right. So anytime a crybaby hairband song comes on from the 80s, they have to quickly follow it up with something really hard, really fast. I mean, some well, if, motorhead or something. If this know. podcast thing stops working out for you, maybe you can get into uh, Being a DJ. DJing yes. in a radio station in Kansas. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I bet I could do it virtually now. Probably could. From here in Denver. If you don't play enough country, it ain't going to go very well. Maybe I'll work at the Legends Country Station. See how I put eight in there? Yeah. Yeah. Because you were in a country. Yeah. Tune. Yeah. Yeah. Ice cold beer on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. It's got to say that over and over. Ass in the water, toes in the, or ass in the sand, toes in the water. Ice cold beer. Isn't that the beginning of a song? If it isn't, you just started one. I it is. Well, thanks for talking to me about vacations and summer holidays. It's one of those subtle things, besides the big dramas, one of those subtle things that can cause the relationship to continue to spin out of control and be aggravating. And if that's the situation you're in, you are not alone. Absolutely. Part of the diabolical nature of recovery from this despicable disease. Diabolical and despicable. It's like catastrophic catastrophes all over again. I love you, Sherry. Love you too. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.